This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello dear listener and welcome back to a brand new season of Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, your host and author of the books that inspired this series, Caroline Foran. I'm back with a bang if I do say so myself because this episode you're about to listen to is probably one of the most helpful ones I've ever recorded. It's practical, it's back to basics to some degrees. While I set out to talk with an expert about the physical manifestations of anxiety and how to manage those such as understanding depersonalization or derealization, the conversation really wound up being a very essential grounding for understanding the anxiety we experience and then of course it's jam-packed with really smart and sensible ways to get on top of that anxiety. It's with Dr. Harry Barry who I've had on twice before. He is always one of my most listened to guests and he just explains things so well. He has a new book out called The Power of Connection which he will discuss and he also shares what he believes is a surefire way of curing yourself of all social anxiety. As an essential add-on to this episode and for a real-time way to practice the flooding technique which he discusses in this episode, I really, really advise you to sign up to my limited library of real-time audio guides to help you with anxiety and panic in the moment that you're feeling it, which I've called Owning It Real Time. The link to sign up is in the podcast show notes and I don't often promote my episodes as much as I know I should, but for this one, if I had heard this when I was in the throes of anxiety myself many years ago, I just know it would have saved me, maybe saved me fully, but saved me a huge amount of suffering. So bookmark it and come back to it as often as you need. I'm always, always here for you. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you find it helpful. Dr. Harry Barry, welcome back to Owning It The Anxiety Podcast. You're becoming a regular of mine. Delighted to chat again. I always get such a wonderful response when I have you on and you have such a good way of explaining things and I keep going back to the flooding which we talked about in both of our most recent episodes which is just such a great way of explaining the best coping mechanism for me. Today we're going to talk about the more physical symptoms and the physical manifestations of anxiety that 
from what I can see on when I ask questions on Instagram is really troubling people um, and very, very debilitating. Before we get into that, I have to ask you what you're up to right now, what you're working on. Is there another book in the works? The most recent book, Caroline, that I, that I, I launched there earlier in the year uh, was really all about the power of connection. And uh, it, it it's actually... It's all the skills that we need in terms of really being great communicators and, and great connectors with people, because I really believe uh, we're living in a world which, unfortunately, we're becoming more and more connected and less and less um, uh, humanly connected, if that makes sense. Like we're, we're, we're chatting to each other online, which is fantastic, and we're doing a lot of our work remotely and all this kind of stuff. And all this is great. But we're, we're unfortunately, as a result of the pandemic and as a result of remote working, we're losing this capacity to really communicate with each other. So these are all the skills we need, how to listen properly, how to communicate, how to converse, how to get rid of your social anxiety, for example, um, how to how to look at the nonverbal cues, all the all the things like empathy, self-acceptance, all these incredible skills that we all need to be great communicators. So uh like one of the commonest things I will I I, I will uh, see or um, talk to people about is social anxiety and social anxiety, for example, is 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 kind of more exactly of the same of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and believe it or not, it is so simple to get rid of social anxiety. It's this is the really sad part about it that so many people will spend years in a state of paralysis, not realizing that some very simple ideas and techniques can rapidly clear their social anxiety for good. Wow. Can you share some of them here? Yeah, I will if you want. Yeah, um, I'd love to. Right. Well, the biggest difficulty with uh, the person with social anxiety, they, they have two key uh, problems, really. The first one is that they believe that when they walk into a social situation, that people will see the physical signs of anxiety. They'll see that they're shaking, they're sweating, they're blushing, they're fidgety, they're edgy. And they, they, as a result of that, they, they, they will then believe that people will start to judge them and avoid them and regard them as weak or, you know, kind of um, somewhere weird. M many girls, actually, girls love that word. Uh, I, I remember girl after girl after girl, I had a series of these uh, and they all described the word weird. They said, they'll all think I'm weird. So the second thing that people really uh, are very, um, um, shall we say, anxious about when they go into a social situation is that they won't be able to converse. And that's why the power the power connection is so good, because it teaches you all the skills you need. But the secret to this is that they actually believe that they must come up with a topic of conversation that everybody will find interesting. So they spend they, they go to all these uh, elaborate kind of um, rituals, really, where They'll do a rehearsal before they go out of what they're going to say. They'll be checking themselves in the mirror. Do I seem anxious? They'll stay at the edge of groups. They won't integrate into the group. They'll, 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 they'll head for the bar to get some alcohol to try and dampen down the physical signs of anxiety. And of course, the real secret to all of this is that there's two golden rules for social anxiety. And these are the rules that you, I, I'd love, I'd love your listeners to write down and never forget them. And the first rule is that uh, social anxiety is about perception versus reality. So what that means in practice is that we have a false perception or a false belief of what actually happens in the social situation. The reality is that 
uh, people cannot see the physical signs of anxiety. And not only do they not see the physical signs of anxiety, but they couldn't care less because the second golden rule is that people are self-obsessed. So you can imagine going into a, a party or a pub or something like that on a Friday evening and your big concern is that everybody is going to be seeing you like with a high-vis jacket. They're going to see you shaking and sweating and blushing and all the rest. So I give people the the um, the exercise of going round uh, all the social uh, events that they can for four weeks and they have to find me all the anxious people. So they have to come back to explain to me why this person, in their opinion, was anxious. In other words, five to eight percent of uh, of most uh, social events, at least five percent of the people there would be socially anxious. So uh, you should be able to find these without without any problems whatsoever. But of course, they all come back and say, "But we couldn't find them." And uh, but the answer, of course, is, "Well, if they can't, if you can't find them, they can't find you." And the reason is that it's a false belief; it's a false perception. But you have to experience that. And I give them things like the supermarket exercise to go in uh, to kind of it's a, like an embarrassment exercise, which they believe everybody would be looking at them. But of course, they would come back and say, "But nobody was looking at me." Do you know what I mean? So they begin to realize that they're not as important as they think they are. So exposure is really necessary first. Absolutely key. But believe it or not, um, I would say that you can clear social anxiety in about four to eight weeks. Wow. The second thing you have to do, um, and this is really well done in, in uh, The Power of Connection, is you have to teach people how how to converse because we've lost the skill of actually talking. Yeah. And the, the biggest, uh, here is a golden insight for the rest of your life or anybody out there who's got social anxiety for the rest of your life. Uh, you believe that you are boring because you because when you go into a situation, you cannot find a topic that everybody else is going to be interested in. So you're there frantically going through in your head, God, if I say this, will they find it interesting or what will the others think? Uh, and of course, I'm so paralyzed by uh, trying to come up with it that I say nothing. Mm-hmm. The secret, of course, is the exact opposite. What's the one topic that everybody loves to talk about? It's themselves. Mm-hmm. So the secret to social anxiety, really, in conversation terms, is you teach them the skill of learning to uh, to get a person talking about some area of their lives that they are interested in. What happens when two socially anxious people meet and they're both trying to get the other one to do the talking? (laughs) Well, did you know something very, very quickly? um, If both people are doing the same thing, do you know what I mean? It'll become pretty, pretty obvious. Do you know what I mean? To both people, what's going on? And they'll start laughing. You know, Uh, in reality, um, the uh, I have never in all of the years ever had a person come back to me and say, I met another socially anxious person. Because what I get the person to do, you see, and this is the secret, uh, for around four, eight, 12 weeks, they have to use the conversation exercise on every solitary person they meet. Where I dissolve, which what happens to me is, and I don't feel like I will talk. You said there are people just say nothing. I, I do the opposite. I feel the responsibility is on me to deliver all of the words and fill all the space. That's the fundamental mistake you make. Yeah. The golden rule is, that if we talk about ourselves, other people find us boring. If we ask, if we get them to talk about themselves, they'll think we're very interesting. <laughs> when people ask me the simple question that comes up all the time, like, oh, what's going on? Any news? Because I haven't seen you in a while. I 
never feel like I have anything. I'm like, what do I actually say here? Do I like, cause what I think might be news. So there are two situations. This is, this is the conversation exercise. This is why it's so fantastic. And it really works by the way. Um, I had one young man came in to me. He was so anxious that he couldn't actually sit in the chair. And all he wanted to do is in the mid twenties, all he wanted to do is meet somebody. Do you know what I mean? Uh, 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 have a relationship. And by the third visit, this confident little man came in to me, shook my hand and says, Doc, have a girlfriend. Wow. And that was the end of his social anxiety. Wow. So that's how fast you can turn things around if you do the right, if you do the work. But you have to do the bit of work. Right. So someone says to me, hey, Caroline, oh, nice to see you. I haven't seen you while. What's going on? Any news? Because they're deflecting to me. Then what am I supposed to say? The, 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 straight, the straight answer is, oh, well, you know what? My life is very boring. No, I, what are you up to? You know what <laughs> okay. I mean? <laughs> so it's like a game of tennis. <laughs> game of tennis. All right, well, the more, the more obvious thing to do is, though, suppose it's, um, it's somebody you know, and you know they love fashion. Uh, uh, or you know they love films, we'll say. Let's take a very simple example. You may say, uh, well, have you seen any decent films recently? And of course, they say, I was, I was watching Barbie. <laughs> really? And did you go? I haven't got to a jet. What was it like? And why did you go to Barbie? And what did you think? And what was the reaction? Of, and so on. Okay. And now, you, you, now you've started the person talking about something that they're genuinely interested in. Now, you will, if you know the person very well, You'll know that they're, you'll know their range of interests and hobbies. For example, it might be, you know, they, they, they might they might have a couple of kids and they never stop talking about the children. You say, well, how are the two children? You know what I mean? And what's X doing and what's Y doing and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what will happen is, and this is the secret to um, uh, social anxiety, you have to show intense interest in their replies. And based on their replies, you ask another question. Mm -hmm. So can you see what I mean? Like, let, let me give you a very simple example. You meet somebody for the first time and you say, where are you from? And they say, well, I'm from Galway. Really? What brings you all the way from Galway up to Dublin? I would, I'm up here doing um, nursing or doing whatever I happen to be doing or teaching or whatever I happen to be doing. And really, and how did you get into teaching? <laughs> see what I mean? That does happen to me. But then I end up feeling with some people like stress where I feel like it's on me to kind of carry the conversation. Like I will, no, I no, get more comfortable talking about other people or I will deflect to my son. I don't mind talking about how he's been. But when I'm in a chat with someone and I'm like, and, and what brings you but here? But you're I'm making a mistake. Right. You're making a fundamental error. I, I, here's a great experiment that was done. Uh, uh, that it was done by London and Oxford, London University and Oxford. And they got this girl called Mary. And she went around, uh, they called her a cocktail party over there, a drinks party, okay? And Mary went around the whole party and she was only allowed to give one piece of information about herself, and that was her name. Okay, and at the end of the night, they interviewed everybody walking out the door and said, well, we had chatting to that girl, Mary. Oh, we had a marvellous conversation. I'm really looking forward to meeting that girl again. Do you, know, do you know, we had such an interesting conversation. I really found that very enlightening not realizing that she hadn't actually given them the slightest bit of information about herself. All yeah. that she had done for the whole night was get them to talk about themselves. And they all thought she was so fascinating. But you see, that's a skill that you just don't learn. You have to practice. And that's mm -hmm. the secret. If you've practiced this on every person you meet, by the time you get into that social situation, it's almost second nature. And in your experience, I mean, usually like if you go to 
a party and you're having sort of half little mini conversations with lots of people and you're wondering when to flit to the next person or this person looks like they want to maybe go and get a drink. Do you find there's like a time frame after which the social anxiety, even for a really socially anxious person, will settle because you're just you're just in the environment for long enough? Well, you see, if, no, it's it's not that. It's that if you have the skill, first, you know that people don't see you're anxious. Mm-hmm. That's key. So you now understand that they they are only obsessed about themselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so uh, the, what you do is you literally, if if you if suppose you were talking to Mary and Mary wants to move on, well, you move over to Johnny. He goes, oh, Johnny, haven't seen you in ages. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, uh, what are you up to at the moment? Or, you know, it's usually if you know their hobbies or their interests or whatever like that, you start. The secret to every, and this is the part that I have to train people to do, you have to show intense interest in their replies. Now, how do you think you do that? Not speaking. No. Well, not speaking. Listening. <laughs> listening. Exactly. <laughs> Learning how to become a good listener, which is what the power of connection is all about. How do you become a great listener? But the second thing that you have to do, it's your body language. Mm. That's the bit that everybody misses. It's your it's your facial expressions, your eye contact. Like, for example, look at the politician. They're talking to you, but their eyes are looking over your shoulder <laughs> yeah. at the person behind you. You know what I mean? Whereas you have to show intense concentration. I'm really interested in this conversation. I'm really involved in this conversation. And by your whole body language, the person then immediately relaxes and they say, this person is genuinely listening to me. So they really are getting into the conversation. You know what I mean? And and then you just move on to the next person and it's the same pattern. And suppose I didn't know the person. Here's three wonderful questions for the rest of your life. It'll, it'll get you out of any situation. I use these all the time at weddings or at functions and things like that. Three golden questions. Okay. Question number one, where are you from? The real Irish question, the nosy question. And off you go. They will say something and, you, and based on their reply, you ask another question and so on and so on. Second question is, what do you do? Another nosy Irish question. Do you know what I mean? So I'm into I'm into teaching, into nursing. How did you get into that? And tell me your path and where are you teaching and what are you doing? And blah, blah, blah. And the last one is what do you do in your spare time? That gets lots and lots of dates, by the way. Mm. What do you do in your spare time? Oh, well, I love hill walking. God, I've never done hill walking. How did you get into hill walking? Do you know what I mean? Next minute you have a date to do a hill walk. Okay. Are you you need to set up like um your own dating support <laughs> matchmaking? <laughs> That'll be your next but, matchmaking. But seriously though, I'm I'm not joking, you know. It, it, I know. It, it that that's that's the problem that everybody has. They're losing these natural skills. You know those natural skills when you meet somebody to be able to chat away and and it, it's that normality of thing that actually allows us to meet somebody in a normal, healthy kind of way. But it also is wonderful for social anxiety. So there you are. There's my uh, well, we could I, I'll have to have you back now to do an even deeper dive into that but for now we're going to move over and it, it is it does relate um to the it more does, physical yeah. manifestations of anxiety because like you say social anxiety can really come out in like the sweaty hands the feeling of breathlessness uh, the fear that you look anxious I suppose um so I yeah I wanted to I wanted to do this episode because I had a lot of people messaging me saying can you talk a bit about things like depersonalization or disassociation and um people who, who were really suffering with very severe symptoms that did had we not known about anxiety you wouldn't even think to connect the physical with the mental you know you'd be like there's something if it was IBS like for my entire teenage life 
it was just focusing on like, why is my stomach so sick? There was never um, in my head or in my parents, there was no conversation around, maybe this is actually what's going on. Um, so it can be, oh Jesus, it can be just such, I, I guess what I want to do is I'll start by talking about my experience of physical symptoms. And then I want to ask you some questions as an expert about the relationship between anxiety and physical symptoms. And then I might take it to some of the questions and messages I got from people on Instagram. Does that sound okay? Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So I suppose the way anxiety manifested for me as a kid and my teens, like I say, was always with stomach issues and nothing else really, just really bad IBS flare-ups. Um, and obviously, as you would expect, the more the more anxious I got about my stomach, the more bad my stomach got. Um, and I do also believe that there was some other issues going on with my stomach. Like I did have, maybe I had lactose intolerance and there's certain things that I can't eat. I do think people are now very quick to dismiss the physical symptoms and say, oh, it's just anxiety. But actually, sometimes when I when I found things that helped my IBS, that would help my anxiety and vice versa. Um, so I guess as I naturally grew up and got more confident, those symptoms just kind of went away. I learned about things that worked for me and things that didn't. Um, and I, then when I started to feel better, I realized, oh, that entire time that was that was anxiety. Fast forward then to when I was... I left, I was in a really great place. And this is kind of this, this the origin story of how I got here. I was in a really great working environment and I left because I thought I would be better off going to this new place that sounded so promising. And almost, I mean, literally on day one, my stomach started to knock on my door again and say, we don't like this. We don't like this right down, like on a cellular level, my body was like, nope. And I guess because I kind of knew a bit more than about Okay, I don't really think I can just say that, oh, I'm just suddenly allergic to wheat. I knew there was something going on, but I didn't want to admit it because to me that felt like admitting weakness. So I got worse and worse and worse to the point that I was doubled over with discomfort. I was in and out of the doctors. They were prescribing me this and that for, you know, gut issues when really, you know, now I know it was it was anxiety. When I eventually got to the point of falling apart and then realizing, hang on, this is anxiety, all the sort of stomach issues went away and it was like my body was saying okay she gets the message now she understands we don't need to use this as a communication method but then because I had unraveled myself to such a an extent with anxiety it didn't just go away and my symptoms then were I would wake up in the morning with a really painful like jaw like my teeth would hurt I was obviously holding myself so tightly I wasn't sleeping in any in any sort of quality way um I was waking up with horrible the most this for me was the worst symptom, intense aches and pains all over my body, in my limbs, as if the only way I ever described it was like the anxiety had crystallized in my body and it was stuck and I had to get out of bed and move around and shake it off. I now understand that that was sort of cortisol in the morning, which was, I needed to move around. At the time, I didn't know that and I felt terrible. Um, and so that was kind of it for me, like really physical feelings of anxiety. Then uh, I asked people about their symptoms and some people have, you know, terrible headaches. Some people break out in hives. It, you know, it can, it can come along in so many different shapes and forms. So does what I'm describing there to you sound familiar? Absolutely. What, what you're describing from a very early age, believe it or not, is classical general anxiety. Your, your original um, children, by the way, and young, you know, shall we say young adolescents will very often, particularly children, will very often present with their anxiety with, with, with the equivalent of irritable bowel. In other words, bowel spasms, spasms in the bowel, tummy pains, abdominal tummy pains is probably. 
Um, but as uh, what, what what was happening to you was a classical, and I think it's important. Maybe I just maybe explain the science of this a little yes. bit, just to make 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 it happen. That we we all have a prefrontal cortex at the front here, which is our rational brain, we call it. And then in the middle of our brain, we have the emotional brain. And in in this, the guy in charge of of that and in charge of our whole stress system is called the amygdala. And the amygdala is this little organ. He's really, really powerful little organ, but a real nuisance of an organ in some ways. But his job is to look for danger of any kind and fire. That's his job. So when he fires, he fires your stress system. So he sends information down to your adrenal gland, your stress gland, to pump out these stress hormones. If they're acute stress hormones, it's adrenaline, which is fear, or noradrenaline, which is frustration or aggression, and cortisol, or chronic stress hormone. So uh, the real problem we have is that the, when we're very anxious, generally anxious, the right prefrontal cortex in particular is where we catastrophize. It starts to visualize all the worst case scenario. And it's an evolutionary thing. It allowed us to kind of predict what might happen in the future. But nowadays, it's very, it's most of the time it's spending its time just catastrophizing about all these things that never happened at all. And it has a straight line to our amygdala. And the amygdala has a straight line to your adrenal gland. So what happened is I get this nonstop flow of cortisol, particularly our stress hormone cortisol, but also little bursts of adrenaline. Uh, those two hormones are, are fear hormones. So adrenaline and amygdala are the secret to panic attacks and phobias, which we've talked about before. Do you know what I mean? So if you want to get rid of those, you have to understand the world of the amygdala and, and uh, adrenaline uh, and you use flooding. Remember we talked about flooding before? We, we won't go back to that again, but we can return to it again if you want. Uh, but I'm more interested today in the more general anxiety. And this is where instead of getting this massive burst of adrenaline that we get in a panic attack, we get this slow, constant, regular amounts of cortisol uh, going on and small amounts of adrenaline all day long. Uh, the way I describe it to my patients is I say the amygdala is in bad humor today. <laughs> mm. He's irritable today. So my amygdala is irritable. So let's let's follow that on. Now. Suppose then really um, I'm I'm very tense during the day. My muscles are tense. My stomach is in knots. I'm feeling this sense of all the time worrying and foreboding and ruminating and all the rest of it. Um, what happens then when I go sleep? That's really what matters. Because remember, we spend eight hours of every 24 hours of sleep. So in the last four hours of our sleep, we have what we call REM sleep or dream sleep. And this is a critically important person. This is a critically important time for the anxious person, believe it or not. Because when we're asleep, um, normally, if we're, if we're well, our emotions are detached from our contextual memories of the day. So I might go to bed very annoyed with my husband or my partner or something like that and wake up the following day and that annoyance is gone. And now there's the rational thing. We better have a discussion about that. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's because your brain has automatically done this. Your amygdala has, has separated these memories. But when we're actually anxious, two thirds of our dreams are anxious dreams. And the closer we get to waking up, the stronger the dreams become. Uh, the more we dream and the more the trouble is if we're very anxious during the daytime, we're at nighttime, we're pumping out loads of cortisol. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it's like as if, uh, uh, and this is an interesting thing, that our amygdala is 30% more active when we're asleep than when we're awake. 
And is that because it needs to be on alert in case in the wilderness there was any threat when we were sleeping? Yeah, it, it, that could be part of the reason. But it's probably more that during these dream periods, which last about 18, 20 minutes at a time, by the way, uh, it's it's very active because it's trying to kind of identify the emotions and separate the emotions. You know what I mean? Okay. So, but what happens is then we get these crazy dreams where the where the brain is bouncing these memories all over the place and bouncing them about things that happened in the past. So we get these mad nightmares and dreams. Um, so what often happens is then uh, we don't realize, but when by the when we wake up, then our body is reacting to this huge amount of adrenaline and cortisol that's pumped out. So our muscles are all tightened up. Uh, we often wake up. People often say to me, they absolutely really upsets many people with general anxiety. I wake up in the morning and I'm already tense and wired mm-hmm. and shaking. And I've done nothing. I haven't even thought about the day. I haven't even had a chance to worry about anything. That was me exactly. Yeah. yeah. And here I am. And all that's happening is that it's your dreams. It's when you're asleep, your amygdala is very active, but it's a sign that you're generally very tense. So you have this hyperstimulation going on all the time, even at nighttime. So your nightmares, your teeth grinding, by the way, uh, I, I would say about two out of every three people that come to me already would have a mouth guard. Okay. With, with general anxiety. Uh, because, because what happens is your muscles go into spasm and you grind your teeth as a result of that. But it's all being produced by high cortisol levels, causing it's like as if your body's in a state of high alert. Yeah. And and that's the secret to general anxiety. So the secret, of course, is um, how do I sort out these physical symptoms? That that's the real key, isn't it? Well, there's yeah. two ways. Okay. Before you go any further, maybe I'll talk about those two ways. Yes, please. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The first one is I use a thing called modified flooding during the daytime. 
And modified flooding is uh, the only way uh, to get this across. And it's done, this is done in uh, anxiety and panic very well. I do the radio exercise, or is it uh, emotion resilience? But I do the radio exercise. And the radio exercise is a fascinating exercise where if you sat down beside a radio for five minutes with a book for the, uh, and listened carefully for five minutes to the radio and what the news, what the broadcaster is talking about, and you will see, feel the radio is really loud and you're really listening very carefully to what they're saying. Now pick up your book for another five minutes, uh, a book you're really engrossed in, and become engrossed in your book. And after five minutes, you notice that the radio seems to have got very quiet. It's almost in the distance, and you have no idea what the person is talking about. Mm-hmm. And what's happened is your, your brain can only focus on one, one thing at a time. So it either focuses on the radio or focuses on the book, but it can't do both. So the secret, of course, that that's that's the same with your physical symptoms. If you choose to spend your whole time focusing only on the physical symptoms, that's all your brain will focus on. If, on the other hand, you regard it as background noise, it's going to be there. I can't do anything about it. But if I get on my life and do all other things I want to do, I'll notice that they fade into the background. So there's a very interesting tip, the modified flooding. It's a form of modified flooding. And of course, the second thing that we do is we teach people all the core ingredients uh, using simple CBT ideas. How do you, how do you uh, we, we can do these if you want. <laughs> but it's basically the secret to all anxiety is I, I make some impossible demand of myself. I catastrophize about how terrible it will be if it doesn't happen and rate myself as a failure if I can't achieve it. And that's anxiety. So it's teaching people to change their thinking, which in turn changes their behavior. And that's the key. So we we can talk about that maybe. uh, Yeah. Later. Um, But that's the real secret. You, You know, the first thing you have to do is, though really important, you have to validate, accept, and manage the physical symptoms. Because if you don't do that, they will become so <clears throat> intolerable that you will never get round to sorting out the rest. So if you think about it, the prefrontal cortex is where I create all these beliefs and ideas and catastrophizing. So if I can challenge the prefrontal cortex and calm it down, then it calms the amygdala down, which calms the cortisol down. So the real long-term treatment for this is actually to change my thinking and my behavior. That's mm-hmm. that's the key. I remember when I realized that okay, this is probably more a mental health issue than a gut issue, or or you know, I I didn't have some limb disorder that was making me have aches and pains. In a way, it was almost this might sound ridiculous, but it was almost disappointing because I wanted a doctor to say, oh yeah, you have this allergy stop putting this thing in your body and then that will go away I wanted something else to pin the blame on because for me being told it's just anxiety or it's all in your head was made me feel like it was my fault or like I was doing this and if someone is suffering with such severe symptoms like their skin is breaking out in in awful hives or they're having migraines so bad that they pass out it's so hard to not feel incredibly frustrated that it's in quotation marks, just anxiety. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a few things there. First thing is the golden rule. For example, I do it with depression as well. It is the problem. I am not the problem. Okay. 
Now, that, that, if there's one line that um, I remember giving this talk to the Samaritans, and this was the line they all of the delegates picked out as the one for them that stood out the most. It is the problem. I am not the problem. So immediately we we say uh, it is the problem. If I said you, you're a diabetic, uh, you would say diabetes is the problem. I am not the problem. But when I say you have anxiety, you immediately say I am the problem. You know what I mean? So you have to start by distinguishing, no, it is the same, it equal anxiety, it equal depression, and it's what do I do to manage that is, is how I, is. so it's changing how I think about it. So instead of saying uh, it's only anxiety, no, anxiety is explaining why I'm getting these physical symptoms. Yeah. But it's up to me to put the work in to manage the condition. And that changes things, doesn't it? You know what yeah. I mean? There's, uh, the second thing is I, I, I would always immediately jump in and say, we all want a quick fix. Yeah. We all like in life the quick fix. We always want the doctor to say, oh, there you are. There's a tablet. That'll sort it out. Whereas in real life, if we really want to sort these things out, it usually requires a little bit of work on our behalf, not just uh, some. And it's not somebody else. I'm supposed to be the expert. And my job is to help you to do the work to sort it out for yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, my job is not to get rid of it for you. My job is to show you how you manage it. And of course, um, all I can say is the, the, I have seen so many people's lives transformed. People with panic attacks gone, phobias gone, social anxiety gone, general anxiety down to a level that they can really manage quite well. So it's all down to understanding the condition that it, we have to make the effort. What you're doing is wonderful here this morning because you're explaining why. Mm -hmm. And for so many people, that's that's incredibly important because they have all these symptoms, but they don't know why. So it's important to explain why. Why do you think or what is the function of us having all these symptoms? Like, why does the body speak the mind when the mind isn't aware? And how do we tune in and say, hold on, is this a mind body? Thing? I, I, I think I think it's because we 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 have a very poor understanding of our stress system. We don't understand that our stress system is there to protect us, to keep to look after us, to keep us safe. But its job is to a certain extent, um, it's almost getting bored in modern life. Do you know what I mean? It's not being chased through the jungle. Do you know what I mean? It's not in the <laughs> it's looking the, for other uh, things. It's not looking for so it's almost as if kind of it's look it's it's bored a lot of the time. And it's nearly we're picking out things nowadays uh, that maybe in the past we wouldn't have had a chance that we'd be so busy trying to survive. Whereas nowadays we, a lot of things have been removed of those kind of dangers. So now those dangers are more perceptual dangers than real dangers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the second thing is that um, I believe we live in a society which is incredibly stressful. And nobody's talking about this, that the two big responses emotionally to stress are anxiety and frustration. So one group will get anxious and the other group will get frustrated. And this morning we're dealing with the group who get anxious. So really important that you, you can't separate stress in our lives, do you know what I mean, from anxiety. That's another big mistake we need to make. So we have to kind of both explore 
what in my lifestyle is making me very stressed and try try and change that? Like, am I getting enough sleep? Am I getting enough exercise? Am I eating properly? Am I drinking too much? Do you know, all those type of things. Am I obsessed with technology and social media, for example? Uh, what, what in my life is making me more stressed? Because the more stressed I am, the more anxious I'm going to become and the more anxious I become, then, then you get all the varying symptoms you're talking about. So okay. it's really important that we separate those two things as well. I would love to hear if you have any tips for the vicious cycle of, you know, uh, sorry, another one I forgot to mention, actually, uh, for me, which is a much rarer one for me. But there was a period of time in my early 20s and I only had this happen to me the other evening and I was feeling super chill at the time. So I don't I didn't know why it happened or maybe it, maybe it wasn't anxiety, but I started to have really bad heart palpitations. And every now and then I'd have a flutter of one or two and it's obviously deeply uncomfortable and then it stops. But that evening, they just didn't stop. And I was like, are you anxious about something? I was like, I don't think there's nothing really that I'm aware of. Like, I feel quite chilled right now and everything's okay. Maybe it is. And then I started to think, well, maybe you are just about to die. And I just had to say it out loud in case I dropped dead and I needed people to know why. And I was Googling, of course, the terrible thing, like how to, to help it. And I remembered this time in my life where I, I had heart palpitations so frequently and at night I was so scared of them I was so afraid to fall asleep in case my heart stopped and that it became anxiety about the heart palpitations when the heart palpitations were probably causing anxiety I ended up having to wear a heart monitor for just for reassurance the doctor I suppose wanted me to just um just see that everything was okay physically which I really think is important to always begin by ruling out anything more sinister And not just going straight to anxiety. You've got to make sure you've got the physical checkup done. And I think it came back that I had a slightly irregular heartbeat and that was okay. But, you know, just to be aware that if I have a flutter, it's not, I'm not about to drop dead. Um, But I remember feeling such fear about when the next palpitation would come. And the same as, I guess, feeling fear about when you'd panic or feel anxious. But that cycle of being anxious about the symptoms and then the symptoms become because you're anxious where do we start with that cycle? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think really it's really important. You said something very important there, and I would always uh, recommend this as a as a doctor. Do you know what I mean? That if you have say unusual symptoms like suddenly getting um, heart palpitation, something that I do think is very important that they're checked out once. Yeah. Now, once they're checked out, that's the end of the matter. Do you know what I mean? Now it's you're anxious about the heart palpitations. Do you know what I mean? So it's now general anxiety. It's no longer just, uh, it, it's a bit like I'm getting pains in my chest. Do you know what I mean? So I now become convinced that I'm going to get a heart attack. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So so re- remember, a lot of general anxiety is about making some impossible demand. I must not die prematurely. If I do, it'll be terrible. And I'm a failure for letting it happen. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, of course, the whole secret is is the word must, isn't it? I must not die prematurely. Do you know what I mean? Of cancer, of heart disease, of whatever it is. So what I'm really looking for, if you think about it, was I'm looking for total control, whereas the rational belief, the irrational belief is, you know, I I must not die prematurely of a heart attack. It'll be awful if it happens and I'm a failure for letting it happen. Of course, the rational belief is I prefer not to die like the rest of us would prematurely of a heart attack or indeed of anything else, but it's out of my control. And there is the magic word. So I will spend most of my time 
uh, with somebody, uh, getting them to understand the, the whole world of control. That mm. control is looking for 100% certainty, order, security and perfection, which I'm sure for most anxious people, they can go tick, 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 tick. <laughs> so most people would like to be 100% looking for 100% certainty, 100% perfection or whatever it is. So I give them exercises then to 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 try to break that cycle of particularly uh, the particularly the certainty one. And of course, the second thing that people are doing is they're catastrophizing, aren't you? You know, like, uh, you know, in other words, uh, uh, if I were to look, what's your danger? Well, my danger is that I'm definitely uh, um, I'm getting palpitations. Why am I anxious about those? Because maybe they're very serious. And why am I anxious about that? Because maybe I'm going to die prematurely. And why am I anxious about dying prematurely? Because then I'll be dead. And why am I anxious about being dead? Mm. I never thought about that, did I? For me, my fear, apart from the other night where I thought maybe I was going to die, it was never, when people say like you have a panic attack and you feel like you're going to die, that's not my fear because I understand it enough to know that I won't. Yeah. My fear, when if I if I was to physically manifest a rash on my body because of stress and then I was like oh crap you know you're stressed you need to get this under control for this to calm down my fear is that I'm losing my mind or that I'm strong enough that my mind is strong enough to have this effect on my body that's scary but your real fear is the is the world of control okay. I'm, I, that I'm going to lose control the big problem in in acute anxiety remember acute anxiety is about you make the pumping out adrenaline in huge amounts of and of course, there's four dangers for anybody out there is listening for a panic attack. Four dangers. Danger number one, I'm going to get a heart attack, uh, stop breathing, uh, d- uh, collapse or die. Mm-hmm. Danger number two, I'm going to lose control and do something crazy. <laughs> That's the one that t- terrifies everybody. That's the secret of phobias, by the way. That's what everybody's terrified in a phobia. I'm going to lose control. The third one is I'm going mad. And the fourth one is people will see me. Mm. So for the, anybody out there who's having panic attacks or phobias, they're the dangers you're worried about. So let's deal with those dangers. Are the physical symptoms that I'm getting actually dangerous? That's the key, isn't it? And of course, they're not. Mm-hmm. They're simply my body pumping out adrenaline. Okay, and adrenaline is my fear hormone. Do you remember I talked about meeting a leopard in Africa? Yeah. Uh, and all that stuff, for those who want to go back and listen to that. So the real secret is, am I going to lose control? The answer is no. The amygdala will never let you lose control. Full stop. Why? Because its job is to keep you safe, not harm you. So even though you in your head, you think you may lose control. In reality, how many of your friends have you seen screaming, running up and down the street saying, sorry, I'm just losing control. and I'm just having <laughs> one of my births. You know what I mean? <laughs> How many times have you seen people running up and down uh, uh, airplanes or buses or trains and say, I'm, I'm just losing control. I'm just, uh, just having my usual. Uh, but. And in reality, you know, when we start to think about it, it's a bit like social anxiety. It's about perception versus reality, isn't it? The perception is that I'm going to lose control. The reality is that I never do. Mm. So the great news for you is no matter what happens, you make it's going to keep you safe. Okay. You're not going mad. People wouldn't see it, by the way. You'd nearly want to hang a sign up saying, please notice I'm having a panic attack. <laughs> Why? Because people are self-obsessed. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in other words, after a while, you begin to realize, well, if I'm not going to lose control and I'm not going to die and I'm not going mad and people are not going to see me, what am I actually worried about? And it's actually what I'm really worried about, to be honest, uh, is the discomfort. That okay. These symptoms are terribly uncomfortable. And of course, once I cop on that they're uncomfortable and accept the discomfort, 
Then we're back to my old friend, flooding, which you talked about so uh, beautifully at the start. The secret to getting rid of all phobias and all panic attacks is flooding. Learning to go with the physical senses. Do you want me to go through flooding yes, again? Yes, just or? for anyone who hasn't been there and they're like, oh, I'm too busy now to go back. Just give me a brief um, recap of flooding. Uh, all adrenaline rushes last five to eight minutes. So in other words, uh, think of the tide coming in and the tide coming out. Okay. If I try to stop it by leaving the area, by trying breathing exercises, using a paper bag, uh, all the things that we're told to do that actually are a disaster. <laughs> okay. Uh, none of these actually work in real life. Whereas if I actually visualize when I get a panic attack or a phobia, by the way, I'm stuck to the ground. Imagine that somebody came along and stuck me to the ground or stuck me to the chair so I couldn't move. And then I have to allow the physical symptoms to literally wash over me like a flood. And it's like as if, come on, you have five day minutes to do your worst because I have things to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. And because I'm no longer assigning a danger to them, I know I'm not going to die. I know I'm not going to lose control. I know nothing's going to happen. What actually happens, two amazing things happens from a neuroscience point of view. The first one is that the amygdala very quickly learns, hey, there's no danger here. So why am I firing? So it shuts down. So within five to eight minutes, the symptoms stop. But something really important happens, uh, and I do this very well in the neuroscience and in, in anxiety and panic, is that the amygdala changes its memory. And what we really want to do is to get the amygdala in panic attacks and phobias to change its memory. So the next time it remembers the last time that you didn't get that bothered. So the next time it doesn't fire as much. Mm. And the next time it doesn't fire as much. And eventually it switches off because it gets bored. There is um, a little video on Disney. It's a short film called Piper. And I, my son watches it. And it's literally, it's flooding in, in a cartoon. It's a beautiful illustration of a tiny little Piper, sandpiper bird. And she's trying, her mom is trying to get her to go down to get her own food from the shore, pick out little worms and shells and things. And she's like oh, too scared and a wave comes and she's running away terrified. And then she notices the crabs just kind of buried their heads down and let the wave come over them. And this is the turning point in the story where she just burrows down and the wave washes over and she looks up as it's happening and she realizes how peaceful it is under the water. And then her amygdala, I'm assuming, recodes. And then she, the fear is gone. She realizes she yeah. can handle it. And, and it's just the loveliest story, but it is literally flooding. It is flooding. And, you know, I, I have, um, I can think of one lovely girl came to me from, from a capital city in Europe and she'd lost her boyfriend. She had six different phobias. Her life was a disaster. I think I saw her twice uh, over 24 hours. And six weeks later, she's sending me back videos of all the things that she was doing. Wow. That was the end of her phobia. So in other words, if you could learn that uh, it, phobias and panic attacks are very, very easily manageable uh, once you understand what's actually happening and once you learn to use flooding in the in the correct way. So the trick to phobias is expose yourself to everything you're afraid of and use flooding. There is a magic line now. Expose yourself to everything you're afraid of and use flooding. When you do that, that clears away a lot of those. Okay. So um, uh, I don't know whether we have time for... Um, uh, do you want to talk about depersonalization? Or are yes, you, are that was my next yeah. question. I wanted before, before I want to quickly go through some of the messages from people because I did ask them to submit any questions. But could you could you differentiate for me depersonalization and disassociation? Or are they the same thing? Uh, they're kind of the same things, really. Depersonalization is, is a form of disassociation. Depersonalization is just this 
it's a strange phenomenon, really. It's a symptom, very important. It's just like, you know, you're getting your sweating, you're shaking. Uh, it's it's a cerebral symptom. Do you know what I mean? It's a cognitive symptom. It's where we feel slightly detached. Do you know what I mean? From It's like as if we're detached from ourselves. We're, we, we, we feel we're nearly watching ourselves from the outside. We feel almost like a robot uh, or a dream-like state, or we may feel that our arms or legs are bigger than, than they are. It's very, very common in panic attacks, by the way. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's because the blood flow to the brain is actually reduced. Do you know what I mean? Because the amygdala is shutting down everything to send everything to the muscles. So you end up with this. Uh, almost the rational part of the brain is being more silenced and the emotional part of the brain, like the amygdala, is, is going into full steam ahead. Uh, so um, some people will also get it a lot uh, uh, with general anxiety. Do you know what I mean? But the trick is not to worry about the depersonalizing symptoms, except them. it's a bit like the flooding thing again, the modified flooding, just Go after the general anxiety. Go after the treat. You know that's how you treat it. So CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, is the is the best form of therapy, or some form of talk therapy is 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 really the best. Disassociation. Now you do have more serious deep the depersonalized depersonalization derealization syndromes, but they're not really relate. They're not relevant to this. Do you know what I mean? Okay. There will be more people who have had serious traumas. You know, maybe sexual abuse or something terrible, war or something that happened to them. This association is kind of more where I was kind of it's it's a, it's almost like a protective mechanism, and again, it's very very common in in trauma and wars, sexual abuse, that type of stuff. Um, I wouldn't if I were uh, people out there. If you're experiencing those symptoms, try and and you're 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 struggling with anxiety. The chances are it's your anxiety is the major problem, not the depersonalization. So don't get too worried about it. It's just another symptom, but do go and get some help do you know what I mean yeah. for your anxiety you know? okay thank you so much for that for clarifying that I'm just going to run through some of these um, messages some of them are just telling me about their symptoms some of them are asking questions yeah. so if you you have another few minutes with me do you sure you okay? yeah okay, like, oh god there's so many um someone saying eczema my skin often knows I'm anxious before I know I am do you see that commonly yeah, I think uh, urticaria is a common uh, symptom. Urticaria is just hives and things like that. These are, these are more just a, a symptom of my anxiety. But uh, I would say to go after your anxiety and very often the skin condition will settle down. Do you know what I mean? If you have to use something like Zyrtec for the skin, thing, fine. But uh, really, yeah. I would go after the anxiety. Something that comes up a lot is people, and this is so awful. And I, I did an episode on emetophobia, which is the, the phobia of the fear of vomiting. But some people get so anxious that they actually vomit. And someone said that their their child just started secondary school and they were so anxious about it, they just threw up on their first day. That's a really hard one to feel like, to, to try and rationalize, because it's such a traumatic thing for your body to go through to throw up. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Part of the thing is 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 understanding that the reason you throw up is because your muscles are kind of almost spasming. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's it's just it's just acute. So trying to explain that it's basically my body kind of just stressed out. Do you know what I mean? Because of the because of. But what's really very important is um, that what causes an awful lot of trouble is if your natural response is not to bring the child to school, then then the child develops a phobia. I get you. Yeah. So learning to say to the child, it's okay. Do you know what I mean? It's just your body responding like this. 
And if you keep going, you know, it will start to gradually settle down. It's kind of teaching them flooding in another kind of sense, you know, maybe show them that lovely little video you're talking about there. Yeah. Now, do you know what I mean? So it's just our body's natural response to a, a new situation, a fearful situation. We just can't. I mean, and you're so right. The natural reaction is to just pull back completely from the thing yeah. that brought on such a physical symptom. And maybe sometimes there is a time and a place to push. Like with my son, for example, there are times when he's had such a strong fear response to things that to, to maybe separating from me that I just didn't want to push it because for whatever reason, it was really, really tough on both of us. And I just, I took a slower approach and I started to experiment little bit by bit where I stepped outside the room and then I stepped outside and mommy was always coming back. And I found that like, that was really helpful for us because I was putting myself under so much pressure to just rip the bandaid off and it wasn't, the biggest single mistake that everybody with anxiety makes who's a parent is to say, I do not want my child to suffer from anxiety. Yeah. So what do I do? I never talk to them about my anxiety. Mm -hmm. So really important, actually. Um, I often get, for example, as a coin exercise that I use in general anxiety, I often get I often get the kids to flip the coin. So they see their mother struggling, do you know what I mean? And suffering, do you know what I mean? When the coin doesn't work out for them. Um, so what happens is that the, the, the child begins to learn that you get anxious, that it's OK. And here's how you're managing your anxiety. So it's yeah. kind of that way. Then the child is able to free to say, yeah, I'm feeling a bit anxious today. And you say, that's fine. I get anxious. And you start talking about and what your ways of managing it. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. um, someone else said really weird, but my tongue feels this is a girl, like you say, using the word weird, feels like it doesn't fit in my mouth. Is that it? I think thing? that's more, I think that's more like, I won't say it's a form of depersonalization, but it's something similar, but it's, it's exactly the same. It, it's basically a symptom. The reality is that, that, you know, in your, you know, deep down that this is actually a false belief. That's the difference. You know, it's not that you actually believe that it's too big. You know, it's, it's the normal side. It's just a feeling. So if you could just learn to accept that these are are just symptoms, physical symptoms, and focus on the cause, which is the underlying anxiety. Someone saying blurry vision and wobbly legs. That's really disconcerting if you're if you're driving a car or something. And um, is that something you see often? Uh, well, uh, I think you have to be careful. Um, if it if it's say one sided visual loss, that could be migraine. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you might talk, need to talk to your doctor about that. If it's kind of just brief blurry kind of. Uh, that in general, your 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 amygdala, by the way, is so smart. If you were driving a car, that it wouldn't actually let you crash the car. Yeah. That makes sense. It wouldn't matter what you did; you wouldn't crash the car. Okay. Uh, paradoxically, because the amygdala would strap in and 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 make. So uh, the wobbly thing is really common, particularly in uh, panic attacks. Very very common, you know. But the reality is, uh, you might have got wobbly, but did you collapse? Uh, you'll find that very, very few people actually faint or collapse. Okay. Do you know what I mean? How is dizziness connected to anxiety? Uh, dizziness is, is again, it's it's the um, it's the part of the brain. Do you know what I mean? You have the vestibular apparatus, which would be in your hearing area, is probably being affected a little bit by by the anxiety. But I actually find a lot of the time. Um, there's a there's a, it's a very interesting link between people who get dizziness for other reasons, do you know what I mean? And then get anxious about being dizzy, do you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I would have regularly seen panic attacks and uh, vestibular things together. But I would, in general, if it's not a serious dizziness, I would just put it down as a symptom, do you know what I mean? And once again, 
I keep coming back to this. Learn to go with the symptoms. Stop fighting them. You know, stop saying I must not get dizziness because the minute you do that, you're back to the same old problem again. Accept it. If it happens, it happens. Do you know what I mean? And after a while of going with it, you know what I mean? You'll find it settles, you know. Is it common to have only physical symptoms without having any anxious thoughts? Because a lot of the time people say, I'm not even anxious about anything or vice versa. Yes. Is, is it yes. possible to have anxious thoughts and not have any physical symptoms? Yes, both are correct. Right. <laughs> um, I, define, I define anxiety, and I think this is very useful for everybody. It, again, I did this in anxiety and panic, I think. I define it into acute anxiety, general anxiety, and social anxiety. Okay. So acute anxiety is really all physical. It's the physical symptoms of shaking, sweating, stomach knots, heart pounding that you get in panic attacks and phobias. General anxiety is more a combination of the two. It's more where I'm worrying and catastrophizing and I'm getting the, the teeth grinding and the nightmares and the sleep difficulties and the irritable bowel, etc. Social anxiety is really more, I, I'll only get... Uh, the acute physical symptoms in certain situations, i.e. social situations. Okay. So it's very interesting to, to divide them up like that because that immediately says, yeah, I don't have the first, I do have the second. If there is a, an unusual form um, and it's one of the more difficult forms to treat, actually. It's kind of where your my general anxiety and I'm, I'm, it's really more it's really more cognitive than physical. You know, in other words, I'm not getting that much physical symptoms but I'm getting an awful lot of intrusive thoughts. And they're, they're a completely different animal altogether. We nearly have to talk another time about those. Okay. They're more verging onto the OCD type area, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, it, you can get those and they have to be managed slightly differently, do you know what I mean? But most people, particularly for girls, it's uh, general anxiety is so common in, in women, really, really common. You get it in both men and women, but very common for women. Um, and, you know, the, the, the really frustrating thing for me is that simple techniques can make such a difference to, to your life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it really is well worth doing a little bit of work on this. Do you know what I mean? Let's just briefly, before we wrap up, just take this person's um, symptom and see what would your advice be directly for them? So intense trembling that I cannot stop. Well, is the, you have to ask yourself, what are the circumstances in which the trembling is happening? Do you know, is it is it intense trembling when I go into a social situation? If that's the case, then I'm dealing with social anxiety. I, Therefore I have to I have to deal with that. Uh, is it intense trembling as part of a panic attack or a phobia? Do you know what I mean? That then I deal with that differently. If it's general anxiety, then I need to I need to I need to accept the intense trembling as a symptom and start working on the cognitive side then. Do you know what I mean? Start yeah. working on the controlled catastrophizing and the rate. Like we have, we haven't done anything on rating today. Do you know what I mean? The whole world of self-rating, which is actually at the heart of all general anxiety. Um, rating is all about. Um, we live in a world of rating. Like, let's let's suppose you did your bot podcast and went out, and you got hammered. You know, by comment after comment after comment, God, this is dreadful, this is terrible, this is awful, this is terrible. You will go away and feel, oh, God, I'm such a failure. You know what I mean? You know, I am, you know, I, I feel terrible. I feel, you know, I feel I messed up. I mucked up. You know, as we live in a world where we're, we're intensely sensitized to what other people think. And we spend an awful lot of time being very hard on ourselves, rating ourselves, 
as as failures, as weird, as worthless, as weak, do you know what I mean, etc. Uh, and that in turn worsens our anxiety. So the more that the more perfectionist I am, the more I want everything perfect, the more I never want to fail, um, the more likely it is I get more and more anxious. You know what I mean? So so uh, many, many people, for example, it's the secret to all exam anxiety in young people do you know i must not fail i must not i must get x number of points if not i am a failure so the secret to of course life is learning that i am not a failure i'm not a failure at a task but i am not a failure as a person so i teach people unconditional self-acceptance and that's the secret to to really the whole issue do you know what i mean so that there there are other areas that we can talk about again another time and this is why you have what is it 12 books at this stage (laughs) (laughs) i think i think it's 11 books i think at this stage 11 i'm sure by the time we chat next it'll be 12 remind me of the title of your most recent book most recent one is called the power of connection the power of connection Uh, and 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 it's all it's all the skills that we need to become great listeners conversationists to how to read our nonverbal cues how to develop empathy, um, how to how to manage conflict situations, you know what I mean, really, really important. And then all the things like self, self-acceptance and all those kind of uh, wonderful skills. So it's full of full of practical advice like that. It sounds it sounds wonderful. And would there be one specific book that you think would relate most to what we talked about today with the physical? I, 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 I still think anxiety and panic, which is the which was. Um, is that your bestseller? Uh, your best uh, well, there were, I think I think um, they've all been best. I think uh, four or five of them got into number one in nonfiction. Do you know what I mean? Oh. Uh, Anxiety and Panic is probably the book that continues to uh, worldwide to 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 do very well. Oh. So I, I I would I would really um, suggest to people get out either uh, the written copy or the or the uh, you can do it. Um, these new uh, voice books, audio books, mm-hmm. um, uh, or you can look, look at my videos online, drharryberry.com it does it very well. But I, if you really want to get a real proper understanding of anxiety in all the chips and forms, I still think anxiety and panic is, is, is bad. Like Professor Harmer, a professor of cognitive neuroscience in Oxford, who's a, who's a friend of mine, she gave it a thumbs up. Do you know what I mean? So, okay. so the amygdala, I explain all the world of the amygdala and, and all the rest within that. So, I, yeah. I think that might be the one I want to go to that might be most for people. I think I want to thank you so massively because. Um, not only are you so kind and generous to give me your time and your information and you know t- just it's really really helpful but I, I really think that this had had I had access to this episode when I was either a teenager or at the worst of my anxiety I think it would have changed my life and I really I really think this might be the most helpful episode I've ever done and that's thanks to you. Well I'm delighted Caroline and it's an absolute pleasure as always to chat to you you know amazing well i'm sure this I, I hope this will reach people far and wide all over the world and it will make a difference for them too thank you so much and best of luck with the power of connection and i i hope you'll be back to me soon i will indeed i will indeed
subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching fashion trends, pep talks where we give advice, mental health moments, and games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.